1: I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, who exactly is inside California's juvenile halls? All year, we've been reporting on the impact of a massive drop over many years in youth crime for a series called Vanishing Violence. The lead reporters, Jill Tucker and Joaquin Palomino, are here, and they're going to talk about their latest blockbuster. Though authorities say that the juvenile halls, which are mostly emptying out have the worst of the worst criminals now, Jill and Joaquin found that that is not the case and that they often have lower level offenders. Jill and Joaquin, thanks for coming in again.
2: Sure. Glad to be here.
1: As you know, this is one of my favorite uh, reporting series of all time, investigative series. Thank you for continuing to do it. Jill, what is the top line of this latest story? You guys have been looking into who goes in and out of juvenile halls around the counties in California.
2: Yeah. So when we first started reporting this, you know, juvenile halls are mostly empty. But one of the things that we kept hearing from local authorities is that, look, the only kids left in juvenile halls are those that are the most dangerous, the most violent um, kids out there. And yet when we started looking at the data, we actually found that that wasn't true, that a a significant number of kids in juvenile halls across the state – actually are in for minor crimes like misdemeanors and probation violations. So, for example, a third of the kids in juvenile halls, uh, about a third, are in there for misdemeanor crimes, which could be uh, something as simple as shoplifting or, you know, getting in a fight at school or something like that.
1: Before we go further, why is it so important um, that we're talking about who's in juvenile hall? There's a big debate, isn't there, about the conditions. It is a lockup about whether it's rehabilitative.
3: Yeah, so... um... Basically, everyone agrees from, you know, probation officers who run juvenile halls to youth advocates that these facilities should be used as sort of a last resort. Uh, you only put kids in there who need to be there. Um, typically, you try and keep kids in the community where they can receive services because there's all of this research on the harms that incarceration can cause.
1: And that could be any number of programs, right? It could be something from monitoring at home to a, to a program that's not, you know, a lock up, a camp.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, all this research shows that, you know, kids who go into secure detention, it can lead to worse outcomes in school, worse outcomes later on in life. And in many ways, I mean, oftentimes if you put the wrong kids in juvenile hall, it can actually make communities less safe because they're more likely to commit future crimes. Um and yeah. a
2: lot of that has to do with the fact, you know, which we describe in the story of what what juvenile look, what juvenile halls look like inside. You know, they're, they're largely jail like setting. I mean, settings. I mean, Joaquin and I have toured several of them over the course of the year. And kids are sleeping on cement platforms with, you know, two inch mats and there's metal toilets. And, and they're severely restricted in their activities and movements and behaviors. So, you know, that's why the research shows the, these are not home like environments. These are, you know, more jail like environments.
1: Yeah. And what's so gripping about the story, and by the way, if you want to read it, it's at sfchronicle.com. The investigation uh, is this uh, girl named Marie that you you start with. Who is Marie and how does she uh, sort of embody what we're talking about?
3: So, yeah, Marie is a teenager, uh, lives in Marin County. Um, She was arrested last November. She was actually arrested last October for the first time for shoplifting. She stole alcohol, Um, went to juvenile hall, quickly came out, um, was was living at home and then um, skipped school one day. Mom called the police to help track her down because she couldn't find her. Uh, Police came to her house. Um, She didn't really follow their instructions. She got arrested in her own bedroom for resisting arrest. After that time, she ended up going to juvenile hall for 29 days. And that started this cycle where she was just in and out over the course of the next year um, for minor property crimes or one minor property crime and and a couple of probation violations, which is when you don't sort of abide by the rules that probation puts uh, or sets for you when you're released. And so she ended up spending 222 days in juvenile hall over the course of a year. Um, Her worst offense was shoplifting, misdemeanor, resisting arrest, um, really minor things that a lot of people will say, you know, should not land someone in these sort of maximum security, really severe uh, facilities. And by
1: the way, Maria, we're referring to her not by her full name, Mm -hmm. because in general, juveniles are protected for a lot of the reasons that we've we've talked about, right? Um, So, you know, she has the ability not to, to have this trailer around for the rest of her life as she hopefully goes on a better course.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we we actually talked to her and her family a lot. We also spoke to probation officials in Marin as well as the judge there um, about the case. And what we found is, is similar to what we found all over California is that a lot of times young people like her are put in juvenile hall not because of the crime they committed. Um, you know, unlike the adult system, the juvenile system is really it, it's in the juvenile system, probation officials and judges look at sort of the totality of the case. So they look at is this kid going to school? Are they delinquent in other ways? Do they have a drug problem? Do they have a mental health problem? Are they living in an unsafe home? And all of those things, those factors, can result in a young person like herself being detained for really long periods of time, not because they did something serious or because they're a public safety threat, but because of issues they might be dealing with. Um, and so this is, I mean, it's, it's part of state law. I mean, you can detain a youth if they pose a, a danger to themselves or others, or if they are living in an unsafe environment. Um,
1: Whereas in adult court, it, it sometimes is the opposite, right? It's you serve the exactly the time that your crime uh, sends you to prison for, and no matter what, you, know, you may be homeless, you're, you're gonna be released and, and on your own often.
2: Right. And, and that's definitely not the case for a lot of these young people. In fact, a lot of the young people, um, the most um, at-risk kids in, in society, foster kids or kids in perhaps homes with domestic violence or other things, these are the kids that are landing in juvenile hall because the courts are, are saying that this is a safe place for them to be, that they don't have a place to release them Um to go home or to another to another location like a foster home or a group home. And so they end up remaining in a cell uh, not for the crime they committed, like Joaquin said, or not for the severity, not based on the severity of the crime, but because of, um, as he said, the circumstances in their life, many of, of which are out of their control.
1: Okay, I want to take a break. Um, but when we come back, let's talk about the series and let's also dig in a little bit into the different ways in which these— children are finding themselves in in Juvenile Hall. I'm here with uh, Joaquin Palomino and Jill Tucker, reporters at The Chronicle. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's Shopify.com slash system.
1: Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Metro editor Damian Bulwa. I'm here with Jill Tucker and Joaquin Palomito, who are the lead reporters on our Vanishing Violence series. And by the way, if, if you want to read all of the stories they've done, go to sfchronicle.com slash vanishing violence. So, Guys, before we get back to the story about lower level uh, offenders being in juvenile halls, which is the story that's out now, um, can we just talk a little bit about the Vanishing Violence series? Uh, for people that haven't been following it, what drove you to, to look so deeply into youth crime and juvenile halls?
2: Well, really, you know, this started with um, just the Crazy drop in youth crime that we were seeing across the state and across the country, and and by crazy drop, you know, people describe it as, as falling off a cliff. That we're at the lowest levels of of youth crime in decades, uh, the lowest number of arrests, youth homicides, um, really dramatic uh, numbers. And when we started to to look at those numbers, we started peeling back the layers of what that meant. And what we found was not only was it great news that crime was going down, but it was also great news that juvenile halls across the state were emptying out. And and the vast majority now are less than half full. But we started asking questions about that. What are the implications of that? And what we found in some of the first stories was that because these juvenile halls have such a low population and yet we have built a system for the 90s crime wave that did not continue – Uh, we are spending a lot of money on a system that was built for a very different society. And we were finding that um, in some counties, they were spending up to half a million dollars a year to incarcerate one child, um, you know, or each child that was in juvenile hall. Um, And so really, we started pulling the threads of all asking all of these questions and just finding – uh, a lot of roads to go down to look into what was happening in juvenile justice um, and what it meant. And um, after the first stories ran, uh, San Francisco really started looking at what was happening and looking at the cost of their juvenile hall and the implications of I- implications of incarcerating youth. And they voted uh, to shut down juvenile hall by the end of 2021
1: the board of supervisors.
2: The board of supervisors almost unanimously voted. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and very difficult work by the way for people listening um may not know that Joaquin is our data expert in the Chronicle News and I've seen you pouring over charts of data um very difficult to get the the data that you needed to see who's in juvenile hall, right?
3: Yeah, so um we thought it would be simple. We started by requesting information, uh, anonymous information, just showing admissions into juvenile hall from every county in California. Um, most of those counties denied our request due to confidentiality laws um, sort of built into the juvenile justice system. They said those records were part of a juvenile's case file in some cases, so therefore could not be released. Um,
1: even but without identifying information,
3: with no identifying information um, or minimal, you know, age, race, gender, things like that. Um, we did end up getting really detailed records from five counties, which is sort of at the heart of this story. We we are able to track individuals and their histories uh, in juvenile hall, so we can see, you know, if this kid got, let's say, booked into juvenile hall for petty theft in 2017, we can see every time they come back. Um, you know, oftentimes. Three, four, five, six more times for probation violations, um, which again are, are non-criminal offenses. Mostly, you know, not following the rules set by probation, skipping school, drinking alcohol, uh, associating with the wrong people, um, you know, suspected gang members, things like that. And so, we we're able to really track how this system worked and how kids could really get stuck in these cycles where they just maybe get pulled in for something minor to juvenile hall, and then they keep coming back over and over and over again. Um, the state does track some information, so we're able to use that to go, sort of give these macro level mm. pictures of who's being detained. um it, It's pretty bare bones what the state <laughs> tracks. So it's, you know misdemeanors, felonies, and probation violations. Um, and so we sort of combined all of the best data sources we could to try and paint the most accurate picture of, of who's being who's being either detained, pre-adjudication or who's being committed to to these facilities
1: it's It's incredible reporting. one thread that that has gone through the whole year, is that youth of color are more impacted, correct?
3: Yeah. So um again, this is information that's surprisingly hard to get. Um, just you know, even the race, racial makeup of who's being detained or held in juvenile halls, it's it's not easy to get. And so we got some data from a nonprofit in Oakland. Well, they're based in Oakland, a national nonprofit called the W. Haywood Burns Institute. Um, and I mean, they showed that about 80% of the youth in juvenile halls in California in 2017 were black or Latino. Um, much, much higher proportion of their, you know, share of the population, 10 through 17. We looked at individual counties that we got data from and saw similar disparities, you know, in Marin, Fresno, Tulare County, El Dorado County, uh, and Santa Barbara. We were not able to look at race in Santa Barbara, but in those four other counties, we we saw similar disparities.
1: Yeah, it seems to mirror a lot of the debates that we're having about the larger criminal justice system in San Francisco. Of course, there's been a a heated debate over the district attorney's race about, you know, progressive versus law and order issues. Um, People of color are more disparately impacted. Um, And there's also hasn't there been kind of a over the course of your reporting a lot of debate about just the nature of how to punish juveniles?
3: Yeah, um, a, a lot of debate, and it, it really is up to counties' discretion. So you'll find counties really acting radically differently. So in Marin, we found 80% of the youth in the juvenile hall there were being held for misdemeanors or probation violations. Um, in other counties, that proportion is way, way smaller um, and, and you know probation officers judges they have a lot of discretion in deciding really who poses a risk to themselves or others
1: and kind of surprising right I mean Marin County uh, we usually consider a pretty progressive place
2: right you know and, and we sort of found that across the state that it, it just every county is different a kid could commit the same crime in in Santa Cruz as they did in in, in Marin and have a vastly different, uh, result in terms of what happened to them, how long they might be in juvenile hall, what would happen to them if they committed a probation violation. So you have this system where every county is sort of dealing with kids in a different way, depending on you know the judge or or how or what programs they have in place. Um, and uh, but you you have counties like Marin where we're seeing an awful lot of kids uh, locked up for lower level crimes. Um, And then other counties that are basically not locking up any kids for probation violations are very few.
1: One thing that really shocked me, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, uh, was this group of of kids who are there not necessarily because of their crimes, but because they don't have parents or they don't have a safe home or they there's a fear that they'll return to crime on the streets. And I was just shocked by that. I think most people, when they look at the justice system, think, well, you can't be kept behind bars just because there's no other place to put you.
2: Right. But state law, you know, says that that kids could be locked up in juvenile hall if they are a threat to themselves, to others, or if they present or or if there is a a safety issue, basically. And the counties broadly interpret this. Right. So you could have in, in some cases, we heard from county officials that, let's say, for example, a um, a a a young girl um, is at risk of being sexually trafficked. They will keep them in juvenile hall uh, because of concerns about their safety. If they are released, that that they could be unsafe. That that could also be the case if they're substance abuse issues or um, issues at home.
1: But doesn't that mean the most vulnerable kids are getting more time just because of their vulnerability? Yes. Okay. All right so uh, last thing obviously you talked to a lot of um, probation officials who have the power in this judges others what do the authorities who are in charge of the juvenile hall say when confronted with some of this uh, some of these figures
3: so a, a big theme was the lack of alternatives so pretty much every probation chief we spoke with said they would love to in some of these cases not detain the kid in juvenile hall but put them somewhere else you know maybe they need a, a short-term respite bed um, just because their home is unsafe and they need somewhere to be. Uh, Maybe they need mental health services. Maybe they need inpatient mental health services. Um, But a lot of people said, you know, although there has been a lot of money set aside to sort of build out these alternatives, they said there still is not enough. And so you end up with kids in juvenile hall because that's the only place in that given county where they can receive treatment, where they can be safe, where where, where the authorities at least know. You know, this this kid who may be acting out of control is is at least like we know where they are at. Um, and so we heard this from I mean, basically every probation chief, all of them said, yeah, and a lot of these cases that we're bringing up with them. They were agreeing with some of the youth advocates saying, yeah, I mean, we also don't want them here, but we we need to build out a different system. Uh, in order to to deal with these kids.
2: And judges said the same thing. You know, we heard this repeatedly across the system from politicians and others. And so it it begs the question of, you know, is there a lack of will? Is there a lack of money? Or or what does it need to create these alternatives?
1: Well, incredible reporting. Again, if you want to read this story and the whole series, go to sfchronicle.com slash violence. Joaquin and Jill, thanks again.
3: Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thanks to my guests today, reporters Jill Tucker and Joaquin Palomino, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.
2: Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast
1: Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing.
1: You can support Fifth In Mission. And the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle.
2: There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.